Hello, I'm Marcus Pibworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change. And here on the Ministry of Change podcast, I like to talk about what it means to be human and how to navigate the difficult bits of life. Because let's face it, life can be an incredibly hard and challenging thing to navigate at times. Well, I've certainly found that and I'm sure many of you have as well. Uh, in the recent conversations I've been recording, I've been trying to find people that have dedicated their lives through a spiritual path to answering these questions about how to navigate life. I thought it'd be a really interesting angle to explore sort of mental health and our connections to sort of material world and what we can do to free ourselves from that, if that will help. And if spirituality has a role in changing the world and changing, uh, creating social change, that sort of thing. And so the last conversation I uploaded was one with Radha Mohan Das, a really interesting conversation I had at the Bhaktivedanta Hare Krishna temple. And then a week after that, I traveled up to Scotland to the Samaling Tibetan Buddhist Monastery. It's this fabulous place up in the Scottish countryside, a marvelous, massive Tibetan monastery. And I stayed there for a week and I talked to a couple of people there and one of them was who I'm going to play today. That was Lama Yeshi, the head Lama of the, the, uh, of the temple, of the monastery. And I also talked to his secretary, a Buddhist nun, Annie Lamo, who has been a, a nun for over 30 years now. And I'll put that one up next. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation. But as I've been doing with these ones, I'd like to start off with a little story, because I think stories are a brilliant way to access something deeper than our thinking minds. And, and uh, so I'm going to start with a story, a story about compassion. And then we'll lead into the conversation with Lama Yeshi. And so this is a story that it doesn't come from the Buddhist tradition. Instead, it comes from the Jewish tradition. And it starts off with a monastery. And it's a beautiful monastery in the forest. But it's a monastery that has seen better days for people aren't interested in going there and becoming monks anymore. People just aren't interested in that way of life. And so now all that are left are five elderly monks, all of them over the age of 70. And the abbot of the monastery is worried, for it looks like his order is dying and he doesn't know what to do. But in the forest nearby the monastery, there's a small hut. And quite often a rabbi comes there and frequents it and uses it as a hermitage. Those old monks have been together so long, they've sort of developed this sixth sense where they can tell when the rabbi is in that hut. And one day they start to whisper, we can feel it, we can feel that the rabbi is near, the rabbi must be in his hut. And the abbot thought, mm, maybe I can go down there and talk to the rabbi and he could give me some advice. And so he set out and when he arrived at the hut, the rabbi asked him in and he told the rabbi of his predicament. And the rabbi said, well, oh, I'm sorry, I, I can't help. I understand your pain because I have this very same problem in my synagogue. Fewer and few, fewer people turn up every year. And so instead, the rabbi and the abbot sat there. They read the Torah together and they commiserated with each other. And as the abbot got up to leave, he said, well, thank you for your time. And are you sure 
you cannot help me. Do you not have any advice? And the rabbi looked at him and said, I'm afraid I don't. But there is one thing that perhaps I should tell you. One of you in the monastery is the Messiah. Well, the abbot was very confused and he left with that. And he went back to the monastery and the monk said, had the rabbi got any help for us? He said, well, he didn't have any advice, but he did say the strange thing. He said that one of us here is the Messiah. And the monk started to whisper and think, well, he couldn't have meant literally the Messiah. Or could he? Maybe he did. Maybe one of us here is the Messiah, but who could it be? Well, if one of us is the Messiah, then surely it must be the abbot. For the abbot has been here longer than anyone else, and he is the wisest by far. He must be the Messiah, yes. But what of Brother Thomas? Brother Thomas is very pious. Brother Thomas knows all the scriptures. He is a very, very holy man. Perhaps Brother Thomas is the Messiah. Well, it could not be Brother Elred, for Brother Elred is angry angry and crotchety at times. Someone like that could not be the Messiah. Could they? Perhaps it is a test. Perhaps... Brother Elred is the Messiah. Well, we can all be sure that the Messiah is not Brother Philip. For Brother Philip is a real nobody. It's so easy to forget Brother Philip even exists. But then Brother Philip does have a strange knack of turning up at exactly the right time and having the answer that you need at exactly the right time. Perhaps it could be. Could it? Could it be Brother Philip? Well, it's certainly not me. I am not the Messiah, for I am just an ordinary man. Or could I be? Surely not. Surely God could not have made me the Messiah. Could he? And little by little, all the monks began to discuss and think and try and work out who the Messiah was. And as they did, they began to treat each other as if each and every one of them were the Messiah. And that compassion began to spread. But because the forest in which the monastery was situated was so beautiful, it so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery, to picnic on its tiny lawn, or to wander around some of the paths. And even now and then, some of them would go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. And as they did this, Without even being conscious of it, they sort of sensed this aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks, and it just seemed to radiate out of them and permeate into the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive and even compelling about all this, and hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play and to pray. They began to bring their friends and to show them this special place. And then their friends would bring their friends. And then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more to the monks, to the old monks. And after a while, one of them asked if he could join them. And then another. And then another. And so within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order. 
and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant centre of light and spirituality in the realm. I think this is a really nice story about compassion and what happens if we show compassion to ourselves and others around us, the change that that can create. And I think it really resonates with the conversation I'm about to play you with Lama Yeshi, for he talks a lot about compassion and loving kindness as being the key to inner and outer change. Um, so I'm going to play you that. I will just say uh, Lama Yeshi had been quite ill and he'd only just started coming back into the public eye. And I did this interview at his little house uh, on the grounds of the monastery where he's been recuperating. And uh, I would just say that in the room next door, he was having some... Uh, Meant the ceiling being mended so towards the end there's a bit of banging in the background which I hope isn't too distracting and also Lamayashi is a 76 year old Tibetan man English not his first language and he is definitely a character a personality and so I did squeeze a couple of questions in but really he talked about what he talked about and I was happy to listen there and be in the wisdom of this very powerful man and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation and I'll be back at the end. I'm the abbot of Kajus Anhealing Monastery here which is now one of the most visited places in Europe in, in Scotland and England. The reason is we are so concerned with the environment I call it inner environment, out environment. Inner environment, is, uh, people's mind is very stressed. People get so much uh, things going in their head and then this, every emotion decreases them so they fall apart. So if you don't have a good state of mind, then that's called very bad inner environment. Outer environment means we need to remember we exist on this planet Earth. It's like our bigger mother. And if we abuse every bit of the land for greediness, consuming things we don't need to, and then taking out every mineral, I always thinking somebody is bleeding you out. And then you can see it doesn't hold rain, like Scotland. Uh, if there's no rain for a few years, we'll be in desert. When the rain comes, every water goes down the river, and then if there's no rain, it's dry out. It means stupidity, because this forest is like crop. And they, they got so much trenches to able to uh, grow this forest. And then it's ruined the entire environment, it doesn't hold water, and this is introduced for just commercial reasons. It's nothing to do with what was here, and I really am fond of Scottish pine tree here, that's the original tree here. But then I am now saying I have two enemies in the world, people who get drug addiction because it's ruining their life, and these pine tourists it's taking over everything. So I'm saying, I'm determined to cut around here every pine tree down and put five indigenous trees instead of up. 
So I have planted, uh, if you know Holy Isle, maybe over 45,000 indigenous trees. It's one of the most successful story of century. And I have 25 acres land in Aram called Minijay Scotland. I'm also planting trees. I'm getting sponsored because there are a lot of deers. We plant all this, but the deer keep on eating. So we don't get funding to do deer fencing. And then there's unhealing. Every bit of land we have, we are planting uh, indigenous trees, probably trees. And if you've been to Sanyaling before, then I said, I have to make sure this water is not polluted by our wastage. So we have many, spend many hundred thousand pounds put a state of art read with. So all many people's uh, sort of wastage goes through the read with. And suppose when it ends, it comes out almost like drinkable quality. So I've been involved in this all the, all the way. And uh, now this, uh, any young people willing to come here and said, I'm going to appoint you as uh, my environment warrior. Longness is very renowned, famous. It's, a, it's like a treasure. And I have a little property on the top of Longness, watching the Longness. But then there's some Canadian group have many thousands of hectares of land wild above there. I thought they have bought this to protect. No, they're selling it to somebody to uh, do a shooting range. Mm. So I said, no one will be ever to do that. What right do we have to dictate animals' life? I, as a Buddhist, I'll be there. Uh, everybody's around the world will stop you. Not only that, every animal people will be there to protect this because it should be protected for the um, people of the United Kingdom. Longness and its area should not be misused. So this is what I've been doing for so far. I agree with that. That sounds good. I'm 76 years old yeah. and I've been here more than 60 years. I am part of this. Not only that, I am very much involved with United Kingdom level. Uh, came as a refugee, can't even speak proper English. I was in Buckingham Palace for Her Majesty's Golden Jubilee. And I have the opportunity and the pleasure to meet whole royal family. And I also worked, they call head of religion, interfaith, Windsor Castle. There was a big, big two meetings, one called uh, world religion and uh, world environment. Prince Philip was a head of the we call world environment, WWF. Yeah. So we had twice meeting I participate, and everybody says Buddhist world is best for protection. We protect animal lives. We protect environment. Others don't have that. What year did you arrive in the UK? 1959. 59. Because my country was taken over by Chinese. Mm. So my sisters stayed there. They are very intolerable human beings. They like to dictate everything. And they don't like lamas because we have very strong mind, mm. independent thinking. And they don't like independent thinker. They like someone who just follows the 
communist philosophy. But we are Buddhists. We don't rage against them. We feel sorry what they join is not right. Sooner they will change. Meantime, we're teaching true blessing, loving kindness, forgiveness. It's having many hundreds of millions of Chinese study. Ever since you've been here, have you not been able to go back to Tibet at all? Not allowed. Not allowed? Yes. Lama is not allowed to come back because we have so much influence in people's head. So on an internal level, for you personally, how do you, how, how have you been able to process that big sense well, of loss? we believe in karma, we believe in tolerance. We think it's happened to whole centuries. We have a history going backward forward. Chinese, Tibetan, Mongolians, they're so interconnected. Uh, Kubla Khan's teacher was my teacher. And uh, he forced him to go there. In return, he become his teacher, introduced Buddhism. The Mongolians are pacified from killing people. They, they, they become very faithful. They, before communists came, there was 200,000 monks there. And then China emperors, the most teachers are Tibetans. So Chinese Tibetans just go back and forward. So we are very tolerant. So we just wait patiently and wishing we'll give them a wisdom. With the Sami Lin, are you sort of preserving yes. that with the idea of hopefully at some point being able Yeah, to because Sami Lin is called Center for Preservation of Tibetan Culture mm. and Relics and Tradition because it was not allowed inside Tibet. Red communists destroyed thousands of temples. They burned down all the texts. They tried to wipe out whole history. But it's, they're not succeeding. Uh, some of my Lama friends are locked in prison for 25 years. While they're there, they have memorized their medical texts. They memorize everything. One of my Lama Abbot friend in the locked in a prison. He is teaching everybody inside. Don't we call folk foundation and teaching how to become kinder and nicer and forgive. He teach forgiveness and tolerance. Mm. What was your journey from Tibet to to Scotland? That sounds like it must have been a fascinating. No, we have no choice. We build karma. Yeah. So many people say at the beginning. Why did you choose what in the hell you choose as Glenmo? At that time, here is observatory. It was something security place down in the below. So they have to report say as Glenmo is wettest, coldest, dampest. So this is why you choose this. But things change, you know. There are many months of the spring, like weather. If today is a little bit of drizzling. It will be beautiful weather. So it will be perfect. So we change things around, see? Because when you remain positive, you can have so much effect on other people. Like you, if you have family, children, if you are very kind and nice, very relaxed, they will all benefit. When you say, I'm so concerned about them, you get yourself stressed, you child to your family, your children, Disaster, nobody benefits. So, you sort of detachment from that and just be kind to them? But wisdom. Wisdom. Everything's wisdom. Of course, you care about them. Yeah. But they, 
interest rates and shouting never benefit them. They turn against you. But if you create a peace in your mind, they can really feel good. And so how do you create, how does one create peace in their mind? You have to remember many times what is motivation is important. You need to remember I'm here to help everybody. The only way I can help is have a wisdom. But this in part is nothing but the wisdom. They tolerate all religions. How come Samuelian became one of the biggest in whole UK? And this is why? Because we never discriminate age, gender, color, race. Anybody come. Even when they come here, they never forced into doing anything. Something. What a weird place. You don't tell us what to do. I said, you found us. Now you look for what you want. That's a lot of tolerance. Seems like a very good attitude to have. I think. So now we say one of the most sorted out beliefs in Buddhism because it's like a dark place. It's like healing medicine. It's great people uh, still like each other, bring together. So there's not chaos is based on a belief. If you say you have to protect our belief, then that belief is something horribly wrong. You believe people must want it. Buddha says, don't follow me because I say so. Buddhism is for intelligent people who can think for themselves. In this world, it's quite an impressive quality to have, being able to think for yourself. I think. Yeah, it's, uh... more than a quality. All it takes is make a mistake by not able to think and have wisdom. Even spiritual people become extremists. They do not think see. Our belief system is hurting people. We're forcing. Buddhism never force. People have to recourse you. I work now, Scottish Interfaith Council. I go with the Bishop, Mullah, Sunni, Shia, Hindu, all religion. Everybody like me because I have never conflict. I'm just peaceful human being. I get along with. Actually, one of the Shia Muslim head is so fond of me. Each time he sees me, he cries. So his brother says, please, do something about my brother. He's head of Shia here. And if he cries, it looks like a baby. He's very big man, see. How do you cultivate that level of tolerance? Or is it something that you can't cultivate? You have to cultivate. Um, but that says, very should Loving kindness, tolerance. That you have to create. It is progressive. Planting seeds. Then one day you achieve this. So it's not something you were born with. It's something no, you no, have no, to cultivate. No, no. <laughs> Buddha says, you and me same. Seed the same. Only is I persuade. Something I'm very interested to hear your opinion on is... Um, to go back to the environmental stuff we were talking about at the beginning. Um, I hear it often said, and I believe it's true, that we can only change ourselves. We can't change other people. Uh, that's the best thing. Yeah. You don't change. You tell other people what to do. Nothing will work. But if you're changing, everything change. So that's what my example is. Holy Island, when we bought 
there was no trees. Yeah. Then I said, no, 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 we have to put trees. Then uh, University of Glasgow brought wild ponies and also sorry sheep and goats for protection. So then I got top tree expert and also top animal expert. Tree people says animal people have no right here. Animals say tree have no right. I dismiss both of them. And now I can grow tree. I can have ponies. I have sheep. Mm. Everything they, they all coexist. So if if that's true, we can only change ourselves. Mm. I just that that's quite a slow process. I mean, it's it takes a long time to cultivate. I mean, I guess you can change some things immediately, but to change your sort of way in the world takes quite a while. And in terms of the environment. A lot of the what, what I'm hearing now from, from science, uh, climate scientists and there's movements like Extinction Rebellion, they're saying if we don't change the way we live in the next sort of 10 years or maybe less, then we'll reach the tipping point in climate change. Yeah, so that's why uh, you just have to remember patience and tolerance. I have one guy came from south of England. He is absolutely committed environment around all neighbors, they're very rich farmers, they don't care. So he, he said, now I'm really almost giving in because I'm the only person. He said, that's good. Don't give in. You can have influence. It's persuasive. So things can come up fast. Doesn't mean it's going to have better result. I did 35 years of solid full-time job to get where I am. Solid routine. Most of you only took a few hours and did something to expect. No, 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 no. That's shallow wisdom. So we have to be patient. Patience and tolerance key to success. In that paradox of, like, as, a, as humanity, they say we have a very short time to turn the ship around before we go past the tipping point. But a few people have a major influence. Okay. This is around the world, there's a few people here and a few people there. Now you can see young people around the world turning against this. So it's a stupid few politicians are now messing around. And once we get rid of them, we change. Then sometimes I'm saying to my European students, you people claim you live in a free world. What ignorant you are, why are you electing these stupid guys, they promise you many things. You know they won't give you anything, but you're electing. You have no mind of your own. Then you can say, I'm free, you're free. Stop voting them. So what do you think that um, our Western world, and with all its problems, what do you think we can learn from Eastern practices such as Because Buddhism? you went so fast, hmm. because you thought, we have to progress because you prove you can fly aeroplanes, you can create eta bombs, you can do this. So you move so fast and give up anything to do with uh, belief in faith. And then all becomes very much about self, 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 self. So when it becomes me, me, then you're a target of everybody. So you can't maintain this. Buddhism, there's no me. If there's no me, nobody can target you. And I guess when there is a me, I would say this from personal experience as well, the main person that targets you is that me. 
Yes, it's, if you say, why is this me is causing me so much suffering? The me you call is, you, what is your name? Marcus. But you didn't come with Marcus. It's your name take. Yeah. <laughs> you identify yourself with Marcus. So somebody say, Marcus is a bad person. Then you get hurt. Marcus is not good. You get hurt. So you're just ignorant. You have to think, no, Marcus, think properly. That's not you. You're wearing the name tag, isn't it? That, that's very true. Yes, that's called thinking. Helps you to solve this. But it's a very, very hard realisation to come to, especially for people, and this was my case, when you've that's been... The truth that you've grown up with, the, like um, that you think is the truth, that you are, your mind, you are this person. No, you should have the wisdom say, I'll change round. Yes, you mm. change round. So his oldness, Dalai said, if you're Christianity, you remain Christianity. You don't have to change, but you can still believe with this philosophy, wisdom. So it's no need to conversion. Because what happens within the Christianity, the church women invited many Lama to teach meditation. They, even Pope called us to have a meeting. But finally, Christianity, they turned around and they said, okay, who's our enemy? Muslims will fight. But Buddhism are our enemy because everybody's believing in Buddhism. So the even most famous Pope turned around and said, Buddhism is not good. Buddhism steals people's heart. True. True. <laughs> yes. Because I want church goer in Venice. Uh, her son is past many degrees and he's my student. So she is very old woman. She goes to church every day. She comes to Sanili. She knows our door is open to everybody, never asks to believe Christian. Then she says, a new church priest came. First thing he said is, we have to be very careful to this Buddhist. They steal people's heart. She left church. So each time they say they lose people. I was in Rome. Most priests have Buddhist texts in their bed. Everybody like Buddhist philosophy. With all, all the different religions, do you think there's, at the root of them all, is there something shared amongst Kambesh? Compassion, loving kindness. If there's no compassion, loving kindness, then there's no useful uh, belief. Many a church person come to Tibet trying to convert Tibet people to Christianity. Instead of he's able to convert, he got converted in Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't have a concern. In London we have center. Once more is it there another Christian group go out there and sort of trying to convert more some other believe they're very nice young handsome boys and girls from America. So they come to our center. So we open say okay yes yes. So they we discuss all young people becomes Buddhist they don't send anybody to us. <laughs> so why, why do you think um, in in this country, anyway, and I think in most of Western society, and I think you touched on this earlier, there's been a huge move away from 
anything spiritual in, in life. Because they saw, then people also lost wisdom. So they think, oh, the wrong problem is belief. So they completely against any belief system. But then there was no wisdom also. No beliefs is the same. Before these Muslims killing everybody, we have a lot of privilege. We can bring lamas, no problem. We Muslims killed everybody. The Yuki government says, we can't judge so. Any religious group is impossible to come here. Black and white. So what do you think the path back to something more spiritual as a foundation for a society would be? Or, and it's is, coming is back. That, and is that important? Yeah, it's coming back. Yeah. People have to have faith and belief. It's like good moral responsibility. If you have no moral responsibility, then everything is a disaster. Is it possible to have a, lead a good moral life without a spiritual foundation? Yeah, but this is all about just remembering to be a really decent, good human being, tolerant human being, things you do less about selfishness, more about all beings. Then you are the better than even somebody say, I'm Buddhist and not applying. But maybe it's even better to have both of those. Yeah, you put that in, then see if people want, then maybe you can come back next year or something. Yeah. We have to motivate. I I have a lot of problems, but I do webcast every evening. There's hundreds of thousands of people watching around the world. Why do you think they're so interested? Because I want to teach simple, telling, learn to be compassionate human being, very caring human being, kind human being. And instead of putting finger on others, you come back to you who's judging. So you have to look into your own mirror. I'd like to thank Lama Yeshi for giving me the time to speak to him. As I said at the beginning, he'd been really ill and so he'd only just started accepting people to speak to him again uh, a few days before and it was so felt like a real privilege to be able to and the incredibly interesting man and not the usual sort of person I speak to in my daily life it was very humbling uh, and strange experience I had to let go of questions that I wanted to ask and just sort of go with it which is a really good experience itself and at the end I said to him I'm a storyteller and I'd really like it I like to ask people if they can sort of share their favorite story with me because I like to collect stories do you have any stories and he just said to me no I don't tell stories if you have a clear mind you don't need stories and so like that was a a strange experience Uh, but yeah no it was really nice to speak to him and lovely place to go to Uh, if you're if you ever get the chance, go up to Scotland or down to down to there, wherever you're based, and go and stay there. It's just this beautiful Tibetan monastery in the Scottish countryside. Uh, and it's just a wonderful place to go there for a few days, even just to get away from sort of the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And so next week, I'm going to play another interview. Next week, whenever I upload it, I'm going to play another interview that I recorded at Samiling with the Tibetan nun, Tibetan Buddhist nun, Annie Lamo, who's been at the monastery for over 30 years, and she's Lama Yeshi's secretary, so she goes actually a little bit more into his life and his experiences 
um, which is, is very fascinating. But thank you very much for being here and thank you for listening. Um, I will just say before I forget that this wonderful music happening underneath here and at the beginning, that was done on the piano by my lovely friend Graham Walker. I'll put a link down to some of his stuff there. And if you want to follow more of the Ministry of Change journey, then my website is theministryofchange.org and I have videos and blog posts and some extra content on there. Uh, also, I try and support myself with Patreon. So thank you for everyone that's supporting me on Patreon. Um, if you can offer any financial support to pay this forward and help me create more podcasts and put out more stories, then I'll put a link down to the Patreon below as well. But it is patreon.com forward slash ministry of change. And uh, oh, finally, I've just started uploading these onto the platform Anchor, um, which is if you actually go onto the Anchor app, you can record voice messages for the show. And no one's done that yet, but it'd be lovely if you can record messages, uh, share your stories, things that you like, things you don't like, those sort of things as feedback. That would be wonderful. And uh, if it works out, I might include some of them in the show. But mainly, thank you very much for being here and for listening. And I hope to see you back here soon for another episode of the Ministry of Change podcast. Goodbye.